And it indicates that there would be further confirmation of something to follow. And so the rest of that verse has to do with the confirmation of what uh, comes after it, all right, what, what had come before. So uh, David had gone to Saul, understanding what had happened, and he had said, all right, well, I'm ready to go um, to battle for, on behalf of Israel uh, with the giant Goliath. You remember the story? David and Goliath? Most people know this story. And so... David had gone, and, and of course the whole army of Israel had been stymied, and so the Philistines had sent their champion, Goliath, who was a giant, a literal giant, to do battle. And they said, okay, well, Israel, send out your best guy. We'll send out our best guy, who's Goliath, and we'll see who wins. And whoever wins that, that's the end of the battle, and we're all done here. And so Goliath would go out day by day, and he would taunt and challenge, and he would uh, be mean and rude to the people of Israel. And so then they would just take it because nobody wanted to really go out and fight the giant. They just wouldn't do it. So uh, that's what happened. And so David, who was tending sheep at the time, he was not a full-grown man yet, and so he was tending sheep... Uh, I was just uh, reading today in, I think it was Leviticus, or no, Numbers. They were talking about uh, the, the age, the fighting age of men at that time uh, when they did the first census of the, the people of Israel as when they were in the wilderness. They had Moses, God had Moses conducted. And part of the instruction he gave him was that he wanted men 20 years and over. And they were the men of fighting age. So David hadn't reached that yet. He was young. And so uh, he was tending sheep, and he had been dispatched from his home to uh, bring some food out to his brothers who were of fighting age and who were with the armies of Israel. So he was bringing the picnic basket of food or whatever he was carrying uh, for his brothers so they'd have something to eat. And so it was that when he was out there that he heard Goliath show up and taunt everybody and be rude to everybody and be a meanie and bully everybody, and David says, I'm not going to take that. And so he went to Saul, and he's like, you just going to sit around and take this? <laughs> you know, really? I'm sure he's more respectful than that, but that's what he meant. You know, he's just going to take it? And and uh, Saul's like, you yeah, know, well, whatever. So David volunteered to go fight him. And he said, I, just, I, I can go fight him. And he gave him, this was the proof he gave him. This was the confirmation that what we're reading here, this was the further confirmation. Not only was he willing to fight him, but this confirmed the fact that he was able to fight him. And so, uh, now, consider this. David had no battle experience. Goliath had much. David was a boy. Goliath was a grown man. David wasn't in the army. Goliath was one of the best soldiers of the Philistine army. I mean, if you look at it, logically, it didn't look like much of a battle, to me, at least. You guys see, the, there was a boxing match on Saturday night. Did you see those two guys? There was this one guy, the guy who won. His name is Tyson Fury. The guy is 6'9", and weighs over 270 pounds. I mean, Seriously. The guy's like a giant, right? And 
and uh, he bought, he fought this guy Dante Wilder, and it, it fought earlier a while back, and it was it, it ended up being a draw, and so they fought again, and uh, Fury knocked him out in the twelfth or not the twelfth seventh round, and uh, but I mean I could can you imagine a guy six nine two hundred seventy five pounds punching you? I mean it, it just speaks how. How big the other guy was too. It's like when you're watching TV and you see a basketball game, and all the basketball guys are standing in the huddle. They don't really all look that big because they're all relative to each other. Until you see them standing next to a regular person, and then they look really tall. Well, these two guys. Well, we get these two guys in the ring. Like, oh, okay, yeah, they look about the same. Uh, they're giants. Of I mean, they're they're literally they're giants. And you got a guy that big just punching you in the ribs, all right? You got to be a giant to take that punch. And so they, you know, so you get the idea is you got this guy who's bigger than Tyson Fury. I mean, he's just a huge giant of a man, and he's big, and he's fully armored, and he has experience in battle, and he knows how to use his weapons, and he's fully armed, and he's huge and you got David the shepherd boy over here no armor no weapons not experienced in battle so so just to get an idea that there's a mismatch going on here and so David goes to the king of Israel and this is what you need to understand about this he goes to Saul and understand this is more than individual combat because what was going to happen is that the fate of the nation would rest on the outcome of this fight. It wasn't just two guys going at it in the lunchroom, all right, and to see who was the, the, the meanest in the lunchroom. This was literally the fate of Israel was resting on this. But the winner of this battle, the winner of this fight, this, this individual combat that was going to take place, that would be the winner. In other words, if Goliath won, the Philistines won, they're taking over the land. If the champion of Israel won, then the Philistines were gone. They were done. And so this was going to decide the fate of the nation. So understand that. So here, here, here's what you got if you're King Saul. You got a giant of a man that everybody's afraid of, including him. Because Saul didn't jump up to run out there and fight the guy. And he could have. He had plenty of battle experience. He knew how to use a sword. He had his own armor. That guy could have jumped up and went out and fought him at any point, but he was afraid of him. So with every other person in Israel, every other guy in Israel that was in the army, they were all afraid of him. And then so you have the giant, and then you have David, the only volunteer he's got. I'll go fight him. I'll go fight him. <laughs> However he talked, I don't know. Whatever happened there. But he was going to go fight him, and so that was it. But I want you to consider the mismatch. I really want you to consider the mismatch here. Yeah. And the reason it's important you consider the mismatch is because you know the outcome, so it's kind of a given in your mind, but we didn't, he didn't know the outcome at this point. Nobody knew the outcome. Nobody. And you have to consider David, and I want you to think about this for a second, as he was like the last choice here. 
He wasn't the first choice. He wasn't the one that, that everybody would have run out looking for and say, oh, pick that guy. He's definitely going to win. He's a shepherd. He was a boy in the field. He was delivering food to his brothers. I mean, that's it. That's who he was. So, so, so we can't, you've you got to kind of put yourself into the situation. Put your, insert yourself into the story right there. So if you insert yourself into the story, it looks kind of ridiculous. But I want to tell you, there's some, and I'm going to share with you some, some things that may help you. All right? Because I, I doubt any of us here think that we're the biggest and best at anything. Unless you're self-deceived somehow, which that's possible, but I just want you to follow me for a second. Most of us, we, we don't have any, any reason or any luxury to believe that we're the biggest and best at anything. And, and one thing I've learned, and maybe I'm just saying this because I'm old or something, but no matter how good I ever thought I was at something, somebody was always better. And that's the truth. No matter how strong I thought I was, there's always somebody stronger. No matter how fast I thought I was, there's somebody faster. That's just the way it is. And and one of the, the reasons, and, and this is going to sound crazy, but one of the reasons I really enjoyed track, because I, was, I wasn't that good at it, but I really enjoyed it because it, it really brought that home all the time. It was a humbling experience. So no matter how good or how fast or how hard I worked, no matter, no matter how many miles I ran over the winter time to get ready for a spring season in track, no matter how many sets of stairs I ran, no matter how much, how much I deadlifted, no matter how much I was squatting, no matter how much I worked, no matter how hard it was, there would be some kid that I was going to run across during that season that was going to look completely out of shape, maybe was smoking a cigarette around the corner before the race, but he would come out there, get on that track, and just blow my doors off. And that's a fact. And that's a fact. And it would happen every year. There were guys on there were guys on our track team that didn't even run my race that could beat me. Like by a lot. They didn't even run the same race. They just did other races. But they were that much better than I was. And I was constantly reminded of that. It didn't stop me from working. It didn't stop me from running. It didn't stop me from lifting. It didn't stop me from anything that I was doing, running stairs or whatever it was I was doing. It didn't stop me from any of those things. But it was a constant reminder, a constant reminder, that there's always somebody better, there's always somebody faster, and there's always somebody stronger. And maybe I'm just weird, but I'd rather live hungry going after something than to live self-deceived that I'm the best because I'm not. None of these, you know, these guys knew it. They, they were all afraid of him. David didn't believe he was the best either. Nobody in this story uh, of any consequence except for one guy, Goliath, and maybe his backers in the Philistine army believed that they were the best. So maybe it was just Goliath that believed he was the best. I have no idea, but I know it wasn't David. I know it wasn't Saul. And I know it wasn't anybody else in the armies of Israel because none of them got up and went after that guy. 
The only guy that did get up and go after him, David, he made very clear in his statement to Saul that it wasn't about him. And he knew it wasn't because he was the best. We have a powerful history. And here's what I mean by that. There's power in our history, in your history. Because if you consider where you've come from, and I mean honestly consider where you've come from, if you honestly consider the past that you have gone through, if you honestly consider the life that you've lived, if you honestly consider the places that you've been and the situations that you've come through, if you can honestly consider the things that God has brought you through, there is a power in your history. Your history, your personal history. And I'm not talking about your history like, that you shared with us. I'm just talking about your history, where you've come from. You think about miracles or signs or wonders or, or what you've been through. You think about the situations that you've survived. You think about the, the moments that you've been through, the moments that you've survived. You think about all of those things. There is a power in your history to give you courage for the present circumstance, whatever that circumstance is. And it's important that we think about our history sometimes. It's important that we consider where we've been and what we've done and where we've come from. I don't know that I can overemphasize this enough. You can't forget what God has done. You just can't. Because when you forget what God has done, you take away the power and the courage that comes from that out of your own life. I, every now and then somebody will tell a story about something somewhere we've been. And I'm as guilty of this as anybody or something that's happened. And I'm always pleasantly reminded of things. And I think to myself, I can't forget that again. Because I'll be in that circumstance again or I'll be in something worse than that again and I can't forget it. I tell certain stories over and over again so I don't forget them. And of course, you know, as I've explained to you, that's our way. That's the way of the people where I come from. Is that we just tell stories over and over again. It used to drive me crazy as a kid because I'd hear the same stories over and over again. But I don't forget them. I just don't. And that's how we communicated. There was no book that told us these things. There was nothing. It was just the stories. It was just the, the history that was passed down verbally. And that's how we knew and remembered things. And I can remember sitting around in places that we've been. Uh, we would go to Senegal quite often, and people would sit and they would tell stories about times when we'd been there before. Remember this or remember that or it would be a family. We used to hang one of the first years, two years, three years that we were there, we hung out with a family, a Muslim family that was a part of the village but just on the outside of it. And those kids grew up over the time that we were going there and some of them had their own families. But it's we'd see them around and they'd be like, Hey, you wanna come over? Yeah. Hey, remember this or remember that or it's just the way it is. But it's important that we remember. Now David was a shepherd boy. As I said, he came right from keeping the sheep 
And he had an answer for Saul's fears. He had an answer for him. Because Saul was afraid. He answered Saul's fears with faith. And our history should encourage us to trust more and more. Our history, if we really will consider what it is, if we really consider what we've been through, where we've come from, if we really consider the situations that we've faced and the things that have come before us, that it should encourage us to trust God more and more. It should encourage us through our fear. It should encourage us through those hard times. It should encourage us through our doubts to trust Him even more. And and David would not be the last shepherd to answer people's fears with faith. Because Jesus still does that even now. <clears throat> he described himself as the good shepherd. And he's still answering our fear in faith. So David, I mean, he's a he's a great example of this. He's a an awesome example of what it is to, to answer fear with faith. But we have a shepherd that does that in our lives too. Even if we're afraid, even if we're facing something that that we never faced before, whatever the case may be, we have someone speaking faith into us if we'll allow it. If we'll I mean allow it. If you're going to allow it, then yeah, He will. If you'll hear it, He will. If you'll listen to Him, He will. I don't believe it's God's will we live in fear. I don't believe that. I don't believe that it's God's will that we live in distrust of who He is. I don't believe it's God's will that we live in such a way that we're afraid to move or we're afraid to do the things that God calls us to do. We're afraid to live our lives. I don't think that's life at all. And so at some point, a certain point, that we've got to either encourage ourselves, as David did, he encouraged himself. We have to encourage ourselves with the history that we have and or we allow the Good Shepherd to speak faith into our fear. But one way or the other, we need to live beyond fear in our lives. And, and not accept a life of fear. Not accept a life where we're afraid to do what we need to do. And go where we need to go and say what we need to say. And all the things that are just part of life, part of living. And we need somehow get past whatever that sticking point is. Well, I'm telling you, two ways I see right here is one, your history should encourage you past that, to trust Him more and to walk past that sticking point in your life. But you also have a good shepherd that's speaking faith into you, to your fear, if you'll hear Him. Because it's important that we... Remember what God has done. Why? Well, God works through the feeblest and weakest of means and instruments. That should encourage you. I know it sounds like it doesn't, but it should. That God works through the feeblest and weakest of means and instruments. He does. Because I don't know, like in this in this circumstance, that that David was really the most excellent choice. I'm sure there were soldiers that were much stronger than him. I'm sure there were soldiers that were older and more experienced than him. I'm sure there were soldiers that had better skills than him. I'm sure there were soldiers who knew how to use a sword, or know how to use a sword. I'm sure there were soldiers that had their own armor. I'm sure of all those things. I'm sure there were soldiers that were faster than him, quicker than him, more experienced than him, all those things. I'm sure that there were better choices than him. 
He was not the most excellent of choice. And so the question with God, and this is something to keep in mind when it comes to His call on your life or it comes to what needs to get done. When you look up and say, hey, that needs to get done. This is what should run through your mind. The question with God is not how excellent something is. Namely, you. The real question with God is how proper is it? What do I mean by proper? I mean, is it time and space and you, God's will? That's what's proper. If you're chosen at this time for this thing, then you're the proper choice. And that's all you need to be. You don't need to be the most excellent. You don't need to have the most skill. You don't need to have the most talent. You don't need to have the, the most experience. You don't need to be the strongest. You don't need to be the smartest. None of those things. Because that would be the more excellent choice. Follow me? That's not the right question. Am I the most excellent choice? No, that's not the right question. Are you the proper choice? Meaning, God call you? Is this the time? Is this the place? Then you're the proper choice. Get to it. That's powerful for us. So what did David say? He said, the Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered me. Now, young, if his age, people of his age, young men of his age, would tend to toward bragging. All right? And I'm going to speak for myself. When I was younger, I was more likely to tell you how good I was than I am now. But David, instead of telling him how good he was, he said, the Lord delivered me. See, he recognized right off the bat that it wasn't him. And, and while it was natural to brag or speak of his own prowess, he in, instead he was thanking God for what God had done. Because you think, look at the things he mentioned there. He's like, well... He delivered me from the paw of the, what did he say there, lion? He delivered me from the paw of the, what was there? Bear? Yeah. Did he say anything else there? And he'll rescue the hand from this dirty, dirty, greasy Philistine. I added a couple words there, but you get the idea. Now, those of you that have been around long enough, uh, we have a song. Uh, and, and this is kind of a weird thing. And I'm going to share this with you so that you understand where this came from. When we first started, long, long ago and far away, uh, we, one of the things that God spoke to us was that we're going to write some music and write some songs. And so there was a, a guy that was a part of our church who was attending... Syracuse University uh, as a music major, and God had used him. Now, weirdly, and I'll tell you a little bit about him. Weirdly, he was a, a twin. He was uh, he and his brother suffered from albinism, and so they were both uh, legally blind and albino, and were identical twins. 
and and I don't know anybody here would know who this is, but uh, Edgar and no no no, uh, you know I know who you know who they are, but they were in the seventies, in the sixties, there was uh, blind albino identical twin brothers that were on the music scene. I think they were identical twins, but they looked the same for sure, and uh, they they uh, were involved in experimental rock. And uh, you would know some of their songs uh, if you heard them, probably. I mean, they're oldies, super oldies. But Edgar and Alex Winter were their name. And so I always thought it was weird that you had two brothers, like in the 60s or 70s, that I grew up with listening to their music. And they were super talented as far as being musical. And then these two guys showed up and were part of our church that were the same. They were, they were twins, albino, blind, musically talented brothers. All right, cool. And they both played different instruments or whatever, but or they uh, no, they both played similar instruments, but they played a bunch of instruments. So um, anyway, so the one had he really God was using him to write music, and so we wanted to invest into that. And at the time, we were kind of we were, we were worshiping to a lot of vineyard music, and as were a lot of churches at that time. And so the Vineyard had offered a, it was an intensive workshop out in California for guys who wrote music, worship songs in particular, and musicians. And it took place at a ranch out there in California. So we got together, got the money up, and we paid for a flight for this guy to fly out to California and to take part in this intensive time for songwriters, music writers, and musicians. And so I, I remember it clearly because I had drove him down to New York to put him on the flight out to L.A. or wherever he was going, Anaheim, wherever. And, and it was a huge snowstorm through the Catskills. We were going like 10 miles an hour or whatever, but we made it, put him on the flight, and uh, that was it. So he was gone, all right? And then I went and picked him up. But, uh, and, and when he came back, he had a bunch of music that he had written and a bunch of music that God had given him and showed him or whatever. And so one of the songs he brought back was a song based on this passage. And it, I think it's on our first album, first CD, if you ever get a chance to listen to it. I was going to play it tonight, but I forgot to cue it up. If somebody wants to find it on YouTube, you can. I think they're in the library, Oh, there's definitely in the library, but I mean, we'd have to be able to play it. That's what I'm, look, I'm looking for. Soldier. So the the story behind the song is this: that as they were all sitting around and they were worshiping, the worship leader that was there, he's some vineyard guy, famous writer for the vineyard or whatever. He, they were all sitting around worshiping, and all of a sudden he just broke into a prophetic song, which was this song, and so. As he was singing it, uh, this guy, the kid that was there, Jason, he just wrote wrote it down as the guy was singing it. And he wrote the music to it and wrote the words to it and everything, wrote it all down, and then uh, asked him, said, is it okay if I take this back to my church and if we do this as a worship song? And the guy's like, of course, it was a prophetic song. You can do with it whatever you want. And so he did. And he brought it back here and we sang that song for a long time. It's just a worship song. And so, uh, it, and it was based on, again, it was based on this passage of Scripture. But, 
it, at the time, it was just a free-flowing, uh, it was just an act of worship. It was, it was sing a new song time. And the guy just began to sing a new song. So uh, that's where it came from, yeah, this particular song. You can play it if you want. I'll sit over here so people can hear it. Continue listening. idea what the song's about. There's a minute left, but uh, and he goes through the verse again. So, the, you see how it's kind of based loosely on, on what he's saying here? Alright, uh, and the idea behind the song was to encourage us. To encourage us that we have a source of power. Uh, and in this case, in the song, he's talking about the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but the Lion of Judah, the idea that Jesus by His Holy Spirit, empowers us to do beyond that which we can do ourselves. And so, the Lord has delivered David when he was a shepherd. Obviously, he had to protect the sheep, and that's what he did. And so, instead of running when, he, when the lion came, he was able to kill the lion. Instead of running when the bear came, he was able to kill the bear. And so, he was able to protect the sheep able to keep the sheep from harm, and it will stand up to the enemies that had come against the sheep. Other shepherds may have run. Who knows? But he didn't. And so he remembered that. He remembered that he didn't run, and he remembered that he was victorious. He remembered, and, and understand, and this is the context he puts it in, he remembered that the Lord had delivered him. And because he was able to remember that, because he was able to thank God, because he was able to put it in the proper perspective, then he was able to face this situation that he was facing now. 
Because bottom line is that those experiences that we go through, those experiences where God is powerful on our behalf, those experiences where we are delivered or where we are victorious, or those experiences where we see God move, those experiences where we see God deliver or we see God provide or whatever those experiences are, but those experiences should be things that we can build upon to build our faith. But, you know, building takes time. Building takes time. You can't just snap your fingers and a building pops up. At least not in any natural way. And and a lot of times when you're building something, it seems like you're building underground a lot longer than you're building over the ground. Especially around here, man. Because it gets so cold that you've got to go so far down below the frost line that there's a whole building underneath the building. Just about. And and it's just a process that you have to go through. And it takes time. And it takes effort. And so whatever you're thinking of when it's like, well, I want this and I want this now. Well, great. It's a process that's going to take some time. You're going to put up this building. It's going to take you some time. It's going to take you some effort to do that because it is a process. Probably one of the the best things I learned building a house was that it was a process. And I couldn't make it go any faster. Because there were so many hours in the day. And there was so much energy that I had. It's the way it goes. There was only so much money in the bank. And some days it was just really cold and you could only move so fast. And that's just life. But it gets done. One brick at a time, one board at a time, one nail at a time, it gets done. And so if you think about your spiritual life and the work that's going on in you, there's a process of building faith in you. And all of those things that have happened in your life and all those situations, circumstances, all the stuff that you've faced in your life, all of those things are a part of that process of building you if you'll put it together. But you've got to put it together somehow. And these verses are, are really some, some, some ideas and some roadmaps of, to try to figure out how to put it together. Because David's showing us the way. This is how you put this together. Even Saul, as messed up as he was, he's helping to show us the way about how you put this together in our lives. Because there is a way to do it. That the things that have happened to us and the things that have occurred and the provision of God and the miracles and the power and the victories and all the rest of those things, they're not just random occurrences that aren't joined together somehow. They're not just here, there, and everywhere. But they're meant to be joined together into a building in our life of some kind of faith. Into a building in our life of some kind of maturity. Into a building in our life of some kind of moving forward. Something that's going to grow us and something that's going to stick with us and make us better the next time. See, God's good will toward David was the same as it was before. 
What do I mean by that? I mean that same God who delivered him from the hand, and this was important, it had to do with God, not him. That same God who delivered him from the paw of the lion, that goodwill was the same toward him today as it was then. That goodwill that God had toward him, delivered him from the paw of the bear, that goodwill was the same goodwill that was toward David that day in Saul's tent as the Philistine was outside taunting Israel. Same goodwill. And he knew that. He knew that. And he also knew this, is that his power, God's power, had not diminished one bit since he delivered him from the hand of the lion, the paw of the lion, or the paw of the bear. So those two things I want you to think about right now. God's goodwill toward David, God's goodwill toward you, hasn't changed one bit since the last time he delivered you, since the last time he provided for you, since the last time that he, he, he brought you through something, the last time that he saw you through something, the last time that he healed you, the last time that he did whatever he was going to do in your life, his goodwill has not changed one bit, and his power has not diminished one bit. Any one of those things. And so David had faith. He had faith because that faith had been built in him over time. But he had participated in it. I mean, you can deliver all the materials to build a house onto the site that you want, but they don't put themselves together, do they? That'd be great if it was all self-assembly. You just push a button and everything just kind of came together. Boom, it's done. No, they just stack them up in big stacks. And you got to pull them off one thing at a time, and you got to put them together to build something. And that's the way it goes. I mean, we had some painting done today. All right, you're going to paint something. Why, you buy a can of paint, push a button, and it just throws the paint up everywhere, and it's good? No. You can't even take the paint in the bucket and just toss it onto the wall and make it look good. It's got to be applied in a certain way and in a certain fashion with certain tools in order to look decent. That's it. That's how you do it. And it takes time and it takes effort. And so that's why you can't just dump out everything and say, well, God delivers. Yep, He does. God, God, He's victorious. Yep, He is. And we can make all of those huge statements that you want to make. God provides. He sure does. He does provide. Let's think of some times that He provided in your life. Let's think of some times He's delivered you. Let's think of some times He's victorious on your behalf. Let's think of some times that he, that he was intervening in your life and did something in your life. Let's begin to put those together. Let's begin to, to fashion those together in such a way that, that we begin to build a building of faith in you, in me. It's not disjointed. It's not random occurrences. It's not, oh, this happened then, or whatever. No, God loves you just as much today as He did then. His grace is on you just as much today as it was then. His favor is with you just as much as it was before. His goodwill is is just the same towards you as it was then. But if you begin to put it together, and you begin to see it that way, and you begin to see it as His love, His goodwill, and all that stuff hasn't changed, and it's the same. And that he hasn't diminished in power one bit. There's some faith for today. Faith for what? Anything? Faith for your circumstance? Faith for what it is you're facing today? Whatever that is. There's faith then. 
And so it can build faith in you. Your life, your circumstances, God's deliverance, God's, God, God's moving in your life, that can build faith in you, and it should. And you should be able to encourage yourself in that and see that building process. But not only can it build faith in you, it can build faith in other people too. That's, that's kind of, that, that, to me, that's kind of powerful. That that faith that's in you, that, that building that's going on in you, your life, your experiences, your circumstances, the things that God's done in your life, that can build faith in other people. And you know how I know that? Because you see it in the story. You see what happens here when David begins to tell Saul about the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And, and how David's just convinced. He's like, well, you've seen this, right? Well, he'll deliver me from the hand of this dirty Philistine too. There was something inspirational about that. There was something inspirational that not only affected David and assured David and made David sure in faith and released faith into him to go forth and do what he was going to do, but it also released faith into Saul. And remember, Saul was messed up. The Spirit had left Saul. He was done. He he had made his choices and he had chosen to do certain things and go with certain people and and put his efforts into certain things and and fashion his life after those things. He had already made those decisions. He did it. And it cost him dearly. But David's life David's recounting of what God had done, David's testimony as to the power of God and the expression of that power through him as faith inspired Saul. Even Saul inspired him. It impressed him. And I want you to think about it. There's two things I want you to hear from this. One, and I'm going to give you this, and I want you to take it if you can. One thing is David's language. In other words, he was plainly spoken about what God had done. He didn't take credit for it. He didn't try to make himself look good through it. All he says is, this is what my God has done. He has delivered me. He has delivered me. Surely he will deliver me. That's what he said. That's what he said. And in every one of those statements... David is the one in need of help. David is the one in need of a favor. David is the one that needs God in his life. You understand that? And that reflects a certain amount of an old-fashioned word, old-fashioned modesty. And there's power in that. And if you can receive that, receive it. If you can't, I understand completely why you can't, but I'm telling you there's power in it. There's power in it, and it was inspirational to Saul when he heard it. That Saul understood something about David at that point. That David wasn't speaking out of pride. David wasn't speaking out of some kind of bravado. David wasn't speaking beyond that which he thought, believed, and knew that he was able to do. And Saul was inspired by that. In a world that we live in where people overstate things all the time, I want you to hear that there's power in modesty. I just want you to hear it. Because you may not hear it again. But I just want you to hear it at least once.
Saul was inspired by that. To the point, impressed to the point, Saul, the king of Israel, sanctioned individual combat to decide the fate of the kingdom. And who was the individual combat between? A giant of a man, an experienced soldier, strong, powerful, tall, and a shepherd boy. He was so impressed and so inspired. Faith was released into him in such a degree that he sanctioned combat for David to go into combat against this giant to decide the fate of the nation. Powerful. Powerful. And it took zero bragging. Zero. All it took was a declaration of faith. David was convinced. I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen. In my life, I've seen it happen. Where I've been so convinced about something, it inspired another person. You know, my, the whole launching of my college ministry was that. Was uh, me speaking to the guy that was in charge enough to put me in a position to do what a new guy called me to do. And being so sure of it and, and just knowing that this is what God had said, seeing what God had already done, seeing what God was doing, being able to express that in such a way, not about me, but about God and what God had already done and was doing and was planning to do, sharing a vision of that and my own faith was enough to inspire somebody else to take such a leap of faith to put me in charge of something and, and, and open up a door for me that was impossible. Impossible. Improbable? No, nope. impossible. Somebody this guy didn't even know. That's happened. It's happened at, you know, on university campuses. I mean, when I first came to Syracuse University, I met with the dean of the chapel. That guy didn't know me from anybody. It took me a month to get an appointment with him. Drove from Fredonia, New York to Syracuse just to meet with that guy three and a half hours each way for a half hour meeting. And and in the meeting, he started the meeting off by telling me how he didn't want me here and didn't need me here. But go ahead. And I went ahead. I went ahead. I went ahead talking about my God. I went ahead talking about what we'd seen. I went ahead talking about things that God had done and what He was doing and what He could do. And by the time we were done with it, it's like, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. And I, and I told him, like, you got nothing to lose, man. You don't like what I'm doing? Kick me out. But let's see what God will do. So we did. For ten years. So what God would do. And I could go on. Uh, state schools, places we've been, overseas, places that, uh, you know, you think about things that have happened when we've been overseas in Senegal, things that have happened in other countries that we've been in overseas where 
it's contagious. It inspires faith in others. And so Saul says to David, all right, well, go in victory. Gave him permission, gave him blessing. And he proclaims to him, he says, this is, and this is a response to courage and trust in what? The arm of the Lord. That's who David was leaning on. Because David didn't even take any armor. You know the story? Saul offered him his armor, the king's armor, the best armor. He's like, here, you can wear this. David tried it on, but it didn't fit him. He couldn't wear it. It wasn't his. And so he, he got rid of that. I mean, think about it. He didn't take a sword with him, take anything with him. What did he take with him? The stuff that he knew. He took a slingshot. That was it. That was all he had. And so he took that slingshot, he took it into battle, and you know the rest of the story. But it was the courage and trust in the armor of the Lord that he took with him. That was it. And so I just want to take a few moments and I want to encourage you to begin to take some kind of an inventory. I uh, I don't know your life as well as you do. I just don't. I don't know your life and what you've seen and what you've been through as well as you do. I don't know the miracles that have happened. I don't know how God's delivered you. I don't know how you've seen the strong arm of God I don't know what kind of courage that God has inspired in you or that you have allowed to be built into you because of the things that you've faced and the things that you've gone through. I have no idea. But I want to encourage you to really take an inventory of that, to really take an inventory of, of, of God's power, to take an inventory about how, when He's delivered you from the paw of the lion or to take an inventory of when He's delivered you from the paw of the bear and let that resonate and inspire you. Let that build some faith in you. Times that He's provided for you. Times that He's defended. Times that you've been healed. Times that you've been delivered and set free from the power of the snare of the enemy. Things that God has done. Things that God has said. Times that He's spoken of you and it's come to pass. Times they, you, you've heard something and you know it's God. Let Him build a faith in us that is resilient to stand in any circumstance. Let Him build a faith in you that is resilient to stand no matter what the situation, no matter what it is you're facing. Let Him build a faith in you that is beyond the present moment, that's bigger than whatever moment you're ever going to find yourself in. Let Him build a faith that reaches beyond that today. And over the years and years and years that that faith is being built, let Him teach you how to apply that here and now. Let Him inspire you today. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks that We've been through whatever we've been through. We represent unique histories. We represent unique uh, encounters with you and what you've done and the things that you have brought to pass. That in our lives you've shown yourself strong and you've shown yourself victorious and you've shown yourself to be our deliverer over and over and over again. And I ask you tonight that we would not take that for granted any longer. 
I ask you tonight that we would take hold of that and we would learn from it, that we would be inspired from it, that we would encourage ourselves in faith tonight with those situations and those circumstances where we have seen you so strong and so mighty and so full of grace and so full of love in our lives. I pray that we would own those things and take hold of them. For God, I ask that that faith would be built in us, inspired. I pray, God, that not only would faith be built and inspired in us, but faith would be built and inspired in others through us. I pray that we're that kind of people, an inspirational people, a people that have something stronger and something better than what the world has to offer. They're what false religions have to offer. They're what traditions have to offer. They're what philosophy has to offer. But something real and something matters and something God that not only sees us through but sees others through too. So God, thanks. Thanks, Lord. I pray you'd help our memories. They need to be helped. But I pray we'd take it seriously to take an inventory. To take an inventory. I just want to give you thanks tonight. Give you thanks for victory. Give you thanks for deliverance. Give you thanks, God, that you are always faithful and that you're always true and we can always count on you that your favor toward us is the same as it ever has been and your power has diminished none. The God who has delivered us will deliver us again. I pray we walk in faith. We walk in assurance. For ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying, Amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyway, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah. <laughs>